Thank you for joining us for this chapel message from the campus of Columbia International University in Columbia, South Carolina. Our mission at CIU is to educate people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. Certainly it is an honor for me to stand here in this historic and prestigious and influential institution that has touched so many lives down through the years. And uh, I am one of those lives that have been touched through uh, Columbia International University. Um, I, uh, back in the early 90s, became acquainted with this uh, ministry, as it were, through radio WMHK. How many remember and were connected through? That's how I became connected. That's how I became connected. And many days, many evenings, traveling back and forth and so forth, the teaching of the word, the worship ministry, all of that has been so precious to me. And we were blessed by the uh, praise and worship ministry just now. Let's give them a round of applause. I'd like to acknowledge and uh, express my deference to our uh, presidential office being occupied by a tremendous man of God, great humility and clearly great passion for God. And I regret that I did not get to hear um, the presentation, but I was listening to the overview uh, during lunch. Can we appreciate Dr. Rick Christman? Let's th let him know that we appreciate him. And I don't know if Mrs. Christman is here, but we certainly appreciate the First Lady as well. And uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Andre Rogers and those who work with him, making me so welcome and accommodating. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I have known uh, Dr. Rogers for much of his life. Um, I knew him when he was really a baby, a baby. He had that cherubic glow on him. Amen. Now, people are laughing, doctor. I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're laughing because they agree or they laugh because it's gone. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, he was always uh, a very dear uh, young man and always passionate, and always forward thinking. And so I'm honored. A number of friends of mine or present associates of mine. And um, I had the privilege, speaking of radio, had the privilege of meeting one of the presenters who is um, going to be speaking a little later, and I was able to tell him about how much of an inspiration he was to me. Bishop Tommy Quick and First Lady Quick are here, and we certainly honor them. God bless them. God bless them. Uh, I'm standing before you to share <clears throat> a, a, a lesson that has been uh, the topic. The topic was given uh, to me, and... I'm going to do my best to fulfill the assignment by staying on topic. And the topic that I was given is victory in followership. Victory in followership, colon, leading off pulpit. Leading off pulpit. So that's our topic we're talking about <clears throat> and we're seeking information, inspiration as to how to embrace and realize victory in followership that is leading 
off pulpit. Uh, but as you know, a topic and a title are not always identical. They're not always interchangeable. The title is what we call it. The topic is what it's about. And so we're going to call it Team Grace. We're going to call it Team Grace. <clears throat> Some of us are familiar with the, the classic hymn of the church, uh, Amazing Grace. You're familiar with that, that hymn. And if we had time, I would start at the first stanza. We were saying earlier today that um, I came to a great appreciation of the hymns through my AME upbringing. Um, I, I serve a church that is considered non-denominational. Um, we call ourselves Christian because that's who we are. But uh, I was raised for uh, about 12 years in the AME church and in the red hymnal there were a number of the, the hardback version uh -huh. mm -hmm. not the dark red we have now I'm talking about the light the bright candy apple red that we have uh, the hymn uh, by John Newton amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me I once was lost and you know the rest of it uh, but, but around about the third stanza, I believe it was, either third or fourth, and you know there are many stanzas, but I mean in that particular edition, uh, I, I think it was around the third or so stanza that said, through many dangers, through many dangers. I think it would be okay if we sing that stanza together. Through many dangers, toils, and snares I have already come alright hold that stay right there stay right there we're talking about team grace as have many as have many in this season the church refreshed is our overarching emphasis. And as have many, I have found a striking parallel between our times and the times in the history of the nation of Israel that is known as the post-exilic period. Mm -hmm. Judah had been taken captive because of its idolatry, its rebellion against God, and its refusal to heed the warning of the prophets. And as a consequence, 70 years of displacement, 70 years of being out of their usual, out of their normal, out of their predictable, was their penalty. We were not displaced for 70 years, but we were displaced for nearly two years though the implications will be much further re reaching than merely two years. Their explanations, they're, they're the natural and or scientific explanations that are considered by many to be non-conclusive. Somewhere between a wet market and a Wuhan laboratory is supposed to have been the origin of this situation. Then there are those, secondly, who see eschatological or apocalyptic indicators. In other words, this is Matthew 24. This is the book of the Revelation. And 
although it's, it's wise for us not to ever draw a direct line from a current catastrophe to those passages, it is difficult to ignore the resemblance and the possibility that what we've just experienced is a precursor of those things that are coming. Even more sobering is the thought that perhaps a measure of this could represent the fact that we as a fallen creation have fallen even further away from God. But even as God in his mercy brought Judah back to their land, he has brought us back. He has brought us back to a degree of fluidity with regard to our going and coming and our behaviors. We're back in the restaurants and back in the malls, back in the uh, workplace, back in the school buildings and facilities, and in this context, back in the house of worship. Mm -hmm. We're back in the house of worship, but even as the Jews of that day had to rebuild their culture, their capital, and their temple, we right now are in the process of rebuilding. We're in a season of restoration. And, and, and that's why this whole concept of church refreshed is so pertinent and relevant in this context. Yes, even though many of us are smiling and laughing and fellowshipping, having jovial moments and all of that, many of us are not many steps removed, many thoughts removed from loved ones who passed away. Numbers, scores of mentors, scores of patriarchs and matriarchs and neighbors and friends, co-workers and, and, and many of the pastors who are present have, have, have had to officiate over and eulogize so many beloved individuals and, and not only do that, but do that keeping as it were the stiff upper lip. Do that and not, not, not collapse on the outside and, and, and yet on the inside so many are bleeding while leading not just the pastor, but, but the associate ministers and, and the music ministry and, and the usher ministry and all of the people who help make ministry happen. All of us, the families and all the loved ones are affected by a moment such as this. And so if there's ever been a time that we need refreshing through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. That time is now. But I'm grateful to God that even as he brought Judah back, he's bringing his people back. Mental illness, anxiety, duress, and distress, domestic violence, and loss of jobs, and all of those things at an all-time high. The learning gap, all those things at an all-time high. Yet, our God is restoring his people. And this restoration will not be done by any singular individual or any singular institution or entity, but God is raising up a team that he will use to bring about restoration. I'd like to call your attention in the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah, and uh, we will read the fourth chapter of the book of Zechariah 
as you know, Zechariah is post-exilic. He's a part of this whole restoration move. And uh, he writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Thus the title, Team Grace. First, the word grace. Grace is universally defined as the unmerited favor of God. It is universally defined by, <clears throat> excuse me, most church people that it is the predisposition of God to be kind to his creatures. Unmerited favor. And grace is favor. But grace is not only favor. Grace is also supernatural power. It is the purpose of God to be known through his creatures. In other words, if we only define grace as something that we ourselves receive, we've limited the implications of grace. Because God not only uh, intends for us to be uh, consumers of grace, but conduits of grace. And so grace is God's kindly predisposition toward us, the favor or amiability of God. Uh, it is also his kingly power through us. That is the force or the ability of God. I'm already ahead of myself here, but it's all right uh, with regard to the slides here. So it is unmerited favor, but it is also imparted ability. When grace comes to you, it doesn't just come to keep you out of hell, but it also takes hell out of you. But then beyond all of that, it empowers us to take heaven into hellish situations and circumstances because grace is not merely the favor of God, but it's also the force of God, not only the amiability of God, but the ability uh, of God through us. Um, and I want to talk about three kinds of grace, three aspects of grace today. Now, I'm not using the broad-reaching terms that uh, Wesley and Calvin have given to us. I did not come to take any sides with regard to the, the soteriological uh, frameworks that exist. Not today, all right? We're here talking about the grace of God in simple terms, in layman's term, three ways that grace, <clears throat> grace works and will work in this period of restoration. Uh, the first is what I'm calling sufficient grace or, or transitory grace. Sufficient. What do you mean when you say sufficient? Well, all of us are familiar with 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, where the Bible says that the apostle Paul uh, lest he should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation that was given to him. He said, there was given to me a thorn 
in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Said I, for this I sought God three times, thrice he says, that it might depart from me. But instead of that, God said to him, my grace, my favor and my force, my ability and my amiability, they are sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect through your weakness and in your weakness. Now, I speak about sufficient grace because that's what all of us experienced during the pandemic when it was in its depth. In other words, when we were having to do ministry in unconventional methods and manners, it was sufficient grace. What do you mean sufficient grace? There were those of us who had to go to social media and digital media who had no clue as to what those things were about. We did not know what Zoom was. We did not know what, uh, <clears throat> uh, many of us didn't know what Facebook pages and YouTube channels were. But God gave sufficient grace. He gave us the power to be preserved and to help to preserve others. And, and it's interesting that when you're dealing with sufficient grace, sufficient grace makes things work that ordinarily wouldn't work. Sufficient grace makes things enough that ordinarily would not be enough. The operative term and the object lesson here is the way manna operated, the way manna operated. You remember when the children of Israel were brought out of Egypt, uh, out of Egypt through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, out of, through, to is the frame that we see there. And when they're in Egypt, they said that they had leeks and melons and garlic, and they said they missed that when they got in the wilderness, by the way. But um, the Bible lets us know that when they got into the wilderness, there were no gardens, there were no orchards. Uh, they were in a place of extreme lack. But what did God do? He gave them sufficient grace. He gave them manna. He gave them manna. He did not give them a deep freezer full of manna. He did not give them a Mack truck load of manna. He gave them just enough manna for today. Mm -hmm. It's just enough manna for today. So if I may say so, all the way back in the desert, they had to pivot from what they were accustomed to, to sufficient grace. And so it's manna on the first, second, third, fourth, fifth days sufficient to the day. And then on the sixth day, they do have an extension because on the seventh day, no manna would fall. But even at that, manna was not supposed to last. Manna was transitory. It was simply sufficient grace. And the Bible says that if there was anyone who tried to hold manna past the day, the scripture said that it bred worms and stank. So in other words, when you're trying to use in one season what was left by God for previous season, then you end up with worms and a stench. Now, why is that important? One of the reasons why that's important is because we have some people who are genuinely afraid still. From March 2020, to January 23, there are some people who are genuinely uh, filled with phobia. And then there are others who say they are filled with phobia. Mm -hmm. And so they'll say, they'll say, Rev, uh, I don't know if I'm ready to come back yet. 
because you know COVID is out there. In our area, we, we change words around a little bit. We add letters and take them away. So it's not COVID, it's COVID, you understand. And say, now you, uh, COVID is out there. So, so Rev, I can't come back right now. Okay, so now what, what that suggests to me is that we should only see them in home visitations. We should only see them when we go to hospital visitations. But if you miss them at the house, and if you miss them at the hospital, you can always catch them at Walmart. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but what they're trying to do, though, is that they're trying to keep the manner of 2020 in 2023. But the manner of 2020 was good for 2020 because that was the grace we needed at the time. But when you can go everywhere else, you can make your way back to the house of God. And so when you get on Facebook, when you should be in the house of God, it's gonna breed worms and it's gonna stink because there's no grace in that anymore. And I know you wanted to tell them, but I told them for you, okay, sir. That's sufficient grace, sufficient grace. It works in the moment. It works in the instance, but it's not supposed to last. Now, I want to say this about sufficient grace. One thing that it does for us, and and I've got to hurry. uh, One thing that it does for us is that it, it highlights to us the team that God gave us in the period of sufficient grace because we always recognize the preachers and we always recognize the praise and worship leaders and we always recognize the ushers and uh, sometimes even the ushers. But this is what happened. This is what happened. When, when we had to shift to sufficient grace, we needed somebody to show us how to use a camera, to use a webcam, use an Apple or an HP uh, laptop how to do a Zoom session, and, and, and the preacher couldn't help us. The, the, the praise and worship leader couldn't necessarily help us, but, but Pookie back there. Uh-huh. Uh, Ray, Ray Ray back there, the one that we thought wasn't paying attention, the one that we thought had nothing to offer because they don't have a great singing voice, because they don't play the keyboard, but God put Ray Ray and Pookie on the team. You're not going to do that. God put Pookie and Ray Ray, we began to realize that all the gifts don't wear collars. We began to realize that all the gifts don't wear choir robes. All the gifts may not have the same degrees that you have, but in order for the team to be sufficient, somebody with a, a mohawk may have to be on the team. Somebody with a few rings around the ear may have to be, and, and one in the nose as well. You understand what I'm One thing our God is not is monolithic. You understand? With regard to his methods. He has one message, but he has infinite methods. Mm-hmm. And, and notice that this causes us then, this causes us to... Uh, understand that we must appreciate those individuals who God has put on the team. Those whom God has added to the team. I'm talking about victory in followership. I'm talking about leading 
off pulpit. Uh -huh. Ray Ray has no desire to be on this pulpit, but God has made social media Ray Ray's pulpit. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, uh, we've talked about sufficient grace. I want to talk secondly, and I'm already into it, about divergent grace. Divergent grace, it really is reflected in what I've just stated about the fact that the Bible tells us in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, the Bible says, as every man hath received the gift uh, that we should make sure that we walk uprightly and that we are good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He said, as every man has received the gift, so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Everybody say manifold grace. Manifold grace. And uh, the God who gives the assignment always gives the grace to fulfill it. But sometimes a measure of that grace to fulfill it is resident in another individual. In other words, he's given you the grace to do it, but sometimes the grace to do it is not in your vessel, it's in another vessel that he has associated with you. Uh, the illustration there is Moses again, but this time it's the tabernacle building. Notice that while Moses was on Mount Horeb talking to God, hearing from God, God informed Moses that he was to build a tabernacle. And he said, see that you build it according to the pattern that I've shown you in the mount. And you know what God said to Moses beyond? He said this. He said, I have anointed two fellows who may not know it yet. Their names are Bezaliel and or Bezalel, as some pronounce it, and Aholiab. Uh, they're not preachers. Mm -hmm. they, they, they won't be carrying the ark. They, they, they won't be offering incense. But I've anointed them to build what I've given you the ability to see. Ladies and gentlemen, on the mountain, God gave Moses the privilege to see. In the camp, God gave Moses the ability to say. In the camp, God gave Bezalel the ability to see what Moses had the ability to say. God gave Moses the ability to instruct and gave Aholiab and Bezalel the ability to construct. In other words, it was a Moses who cast vision, but it was Bezaliel and Aholiab who caught the vision that he cast, and the word was made flesh. The intangible became tangible. The invisible became visible. You need somebody on this team called Grace who has a complementary gifting. I said complementary, C-O-M-P-L-E. M-E-N-T-A-R-Y, someone who has a gift that, that fits yours is not necessary. Yours may not be shaped the same as mine, but they fit together. It's, it's the way that God created male and female, man and woman, ish and isha. Uh -huh. He made one a bearer of seed and another the carrier of a garden so that in the fullness of time, the seed could go out of one and go into the uterus of the other and together they could bring forth something uniquely distinct that neither one could accomplish by himself or by herself. And so I submit to you that in this team called grace, God gives complementary gifting, manifold grace. We, we then must recognize and honor the gifts in one another. I said we must recognize and honor the gifts in one another. We don't compete, we complete. 
when Apple and other computer developers began to create specialized applications that will complete certain tasks and carry out certain functions. I remember one of the marketing slogans. It was, there's an app for that. Anybody remember hearing that? There's an app for that. I'm, I'm ahead of my slideshow, but I think it's okay. Uh, there's an app for that. So in other words, if you want to keep up with how many steps you're taking in a day, there's an app for that. If you want to keep up with how much water you consume, there's an Thank you. If you want to take care of certain bill payments, there's an app. Yes, if you want to order certain things offline, there's an app for that. Well, God showed us through the pandemic that when there is an unusual challenge, when there's an unusual need, there is a grace for that. How many know that, that regardless of where you are in life and regardless of what the need might be and regardless of how incompetent you may feel yourself, there's somebody on the team who has a grace for that. <clears throat> yes, yes, just like we're anointed to sing and anointed to preach, somebody's anointed for bookkeeping. Somebody's anointed for child rearing and child teaching. Somebody is anointed to reach that teenager. Somebody is anointed to take care of the elderly. Somebody is anointed to feed those who are hungry. Somebody is anointed to take our disorganized notes and take them from chaos to cosmos. There's a grace for that. Amen. In order for us as 21st century church to be refreshed, we must express or expect rather that God is going to raise up complementary, manifold giftings, manifold graces that will enable us to fulfill the call of God that is upon our lives individually and more importantly upon the body of Christ. Then the third grace, there is the grace that is uh, sufficient grace and then there is the grace that is the divergent grace and now I want to talk about a third grace which is emergent, emergent grace, emergent grace that is the grace that says we're coming out and we're coming through uh, and uh, uh, that takes us to the narrative from which we read today, the narrative concerning the restoration how many of you can attest, you know, I haven't asked you to do much today, but how many of you can attest to the fact that either in your life in ministry, <clears throat> either in your life in ministry or in lives and ministries that you are aware of, there is a re-entry, a reopening, a restoration, a rebuilding. Anybody, can anybody raise your hand if so? Yes, yes, we're in a period of restoration, a re-entry and, and, and reopening. And in this period of emergent grace, God is giving us the power to come out of what we were in and to come through the remainder of what's left in this period. Uh, I want you to notice something very powerful. I want you to notice that there were teams involved in the restoration. In the Bible period called the restoration, the post-exilic period, there were teams involved. There was the team of Ezra and Nehemiah. There was the team of Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. And there was the team of Haggai and Zechariah. And ladies and gentlemen, if ministry is going to be what God has called for it to be in this hour, if we're going to truly be reflect, refreshed, rather, we must understand that the day of the Lone Ranger mentality is over. 
that God has called us to embrace the teeming modality, the teeming methodology, the teeming framework. Nehemiah, as you know, is the cupbearer. Uh, in our day, he would be secret service because his responsibility is to make sure that nobody assassinates the emperor by means of getting something in the food chain. And then there is Ezra, who is the scribe. They don't have a whole lot of similarity, and yet God has made them a team. Then there is Zerubbabel, who is the governor of Judah, appointed. And then there is Joshua, who is the high priest. Not a lot of symmetry or similarity, but God has made them a team. And then there's Haggai, the old prophet, and there's Zechariah, the young prophet. Uh, generational divide, and yet they are a team. And I think that we ought to get ready for the fact that everybody on our team is not going to look like us. Everybody on our team may not exactly think like us. Everybody on our team may not exactly operate like us. But remember that this is not a team that I made. It's a team that is made by the grace of God. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, there, no doubt there were other teams, but these three stand out. And uh, when I think about Nehemiah and Ezra, and when I, th I think about the fact that their professions are dissimilar, when I think about Zerubbabel and Joshua, I think about the false dichotomy that some create concerning or between and dividing secular and sacred. Have you ever heard that division? Well, you know, this is his secular job and this is his sacred job or this is a secular profession this is a sacred profession let me tell you all things that were made by God all things that honor God are sacred to God and we have hurt the church and we have hurt our sense of identity and actually created an identity crisis because we've taught people that the work of God is only preaching and teaching and being missionaries or being singers. But ladies and gentlemen, that educator is working for God and that, 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 that attorney who's a God-honoring, honest attorney is doing the work of God. And that nurse, that doctor, they're doing the work of God. He is Jehovah Rapha and all healing comes from God. And so there is no God-ordained line between secular and sacred. There is no God-ordained wall between secular and sacred. The wall is between sacred and profane. That's where the difference comes. Either it is that which honors God, that which honors God's word, or that which violates God's word. So the, the, the difference is between sacred and profane, not sacred and secular, all things. Psalm 24 and 1 says, the earth is the Lord's. Thank you. The fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The whole earth and the whole world belong to God. Can you say amen to that? And so false dichotomies have a way of dividing our consciousness. We must be very careful. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you this, and, and I know that <clears throat> this might not fit everybody's experience, but just a little bit from my own experience, I can remember when I was uh, much younger, I was taught that in order to please God, there were certain professions that you were not supposed to go into. 
and, and there were certain activities that you're not supposed to partake of. I know some of you might not be familiar with it, but some of us that came up in situations where we were really strict with regard to being holy, we were told that there are certain things that you just don't do. You don't play basketball and you don't play football and you don't play baseball and you don't jump rope and you don't play hopscotch and you don't shoot marbles either because he said, marble not I say unto thee. And, 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 and what we thought is that the Bible said in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, around verse 18 or so, he said, wherefore he said, this is the way they quoted it to me, preacher. They said, come out, this is what they really said, come eat out, come out from among them and be ye separated. They said, be separated. But that's not what the scripture says. He said, come out from among them and be separate. He never said, be separated. He said, be separate. It was the D that doomed us. It was the D that damned us. Not just D-A-M-N, but D-A-M. That is, it held us back. So we had to sell chicken dinners for years to build a building that if we had let that boy play ball and go to the NBA. It was the D that doomed us. It was the D that hindered us. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to take the D off it and cause people to understand what Jesus said when he was in his high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John chapter 17. He made it very clear. He said, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to keep them from the evil. Let them be in it, just not of it. <clears throat> in this hour, we must be more intentional than ever to, to encourage our young people to discover the gift of God that is in their lives, the call of God that is upon their lives, and do everything that we can to undergird and support them and to send them into all the world to preach the gospel. We did half of it. We preached the gospel, but we preached it from outside the world. And that's why our effectiveness has been limited. Let me stay on track here. And so it is, my dear brothers and sisters, there is an emergent grace. We have, uh, <clears throat> we have this team, we have this, this set of teams that are involved in the restoration. And you remember that Zerubbabel had some particular challenges. Now, Nehemiah is working to rebuild the wall. Ezra is working to rebuild the conscientiousness of the people toward God and his word. And the prophets Haggai and Zechariah are working to encourage the people and these other teams. But Zerubbabel is working to build or rebuild the, the, the temple. And the scripture says that one of the obstacles, the obstacles that he has is that there are people around who remember what the temple was like before the Babylonian captivity. They remember what the church was like before COVID. They remember what ministry was like before the shutdown. And not only do they remember it, but they're enamored with it. And they keep saying, I can't wait until we get back to normal. I can't wait till we get back to business as usual. But the Bible says this gentleman named Zerubbabel is not responsible for what they used to have. He's responsible for building something in this present age that is a witness to the presence of God. 
And so the Bible lets us know that he and his comrades build the foundation of the temple. And when they do, the Bible says that there are those there who are young people. They're under 70, and they, remember, they don't remember the, uh, the temple of Solomon. And so they're excited. We have a temple. We've got somewhere to worship. And yet the Bible says there's some old men around. Uh, no disrespect to those of us that have a few gray hairs. Uh, but there's some old men around who remember the Solomonic temple. And the Bible says that when they look and see the scope and scale of the foundation of the Rubable's temple, the scripture says that they begin to cry. They begin to weep. And so we have two generations on the same scene, two generations observing the same development and responding from two different perspectives. We have one generation that is lamenting and grieving because they remember the temple of Solomon. And then we have another generation shouting and rejoicing because we finally got a temple. And the Bible says that the noise was so loud that it became indistinguishable. And one could not tell who was shouting and who was pouting. Could not tell who was leaping and who was weeping. But I heard a preacher many years ago preach a powerful lesson. I didn't hear it, but I heard the title. And the title based on this text was Drown Them Out. Now, what do you mean when you say drown them out? In other words, somebody has got to make up their mind that although we learn from the past, we will not lean into the past, but God is now doing a new thing. And what I want to know is, where can I worship now? How can I accomplish the work of God now? How can I bring glory and honor to God now? How can I minister to those who come through these doors now? I know there are some who used to come who are not coming back. And I hope one day they will. But I'm going to go ahead and adjust myself to minister to those who are here right now. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm trying to stay, stay in my lane here. Oh, yes, sir. And... Uh, and so, my dear brothers and sisters, uh, I, I want to say to you as we, as we endeavor to refresh the church, as we endeavor to refresh the church, I want to encourage you not to apologize for innovation. I don't want you to apologize for having to do things differently. I don't want you to apologize for the fact that some of the auxiliaries that existed pre-COVID are not regathering and reconstituting at this time. Some of those things should have died a long time ago. And so God has caused something good to come out of something tragic. In other words, the enemy meant it for evil, but God mm -hmm, has caused it to work together for good. And so, my dear brothers and my dear sisters, with, with those generational clashes going on and, and, and with resources being limited, the Bible lets us know it becomes a mountain before Zerubbabel. But God sends a word in four and six. And I'm, I'm going to go ahead and close. I'm going to go ahead and close. I, I, I thank you for your time. But, but God sends a word to Zerubbabel because Zerubbabel is concerned. How will I get this thing finished? We've got the foundation laid and now the people seem distracted. We got the foundation laid. People said things like this, man, when that pandemic is over, woo, the church is going to be 
full. Man, I can hardly wait to get back. But now that the foundation has been laid, it seems as if we're not making progress. But the Bible said God sent Haggai, the old prophet, and Zechariah, the young prophet, to encourage the team. You'll always need a preacher. Tell somebody you'll always need a preacher. So the Bible says that the preacher began to tell Zerubbabel what God told him. And in the fourth chapter and in the sixth verse, the Bible says that the preacher told Zerubbabel, don't worry about the resources right now. And don't worry about who came back and who didn't come back. He said, because this thing that I'm going to accomplish is not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit saith the Lord. In other words, what he's saying is as long as you've got the Holy Ghost, as long as you've got the power of God, if there are those who don't want to go with you, God will put a word in your mouth that will raise up a new generation. God will put a strategy in your belly that will bring forth a new demographic. They may not all look like you, they may not all worship like you, but they will be true to the call of God and they will build God a new house. The same building, but a new house. The same building, but a new praise. The same building, but a new passion. The same building, but a new mission. And then the Bible says, Zerubbabel, let, let, let the preacher help you just a little further. And so the preacher said, uh, I don't want to talk to you anymore, Zerubbabel. I want to talk to what's standing in front of you. I want to talk to what's hindering you. I want to talk to what's blocking you. In other words, I want to do what Jesus said in Mark chapter 11 and verse 23, where it said, For verily I say unto you that whosoever shall say unto this mountain. We thought that started in Mark. No, it started all the way back in Zechariah. Well, God says, speak to the mountain and say, who art thou? Oh, great mountain. Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. What? He said, talk to the mountain. So that means I'm looking all the way up at this huge, gargantuan obstacle. And I'm talking to the head saying, who art thou? Oh, great mountain. Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. And so I told the congregation a few months ago, maybe a year or so now, that uh, when we read that text, we need to say, who art thou? Look up and say, who art thou? Whatever it is that's causing you to struggle in ministry, look up and say, who art thou? The thing that made you cry last night after Sunday, look up and say, who art thou? Oh, great mountain. Before Zerubbabel? I didn't see you do it. I didn't see you do it. Before Zerubbabel? So in other words, the mountain is coming down. Yes, Lord. I said, you know. All right, all right. The mountain is coming down. I want you to help me to refresh somebody's faith right now. 
I want you to look at somebody near you that's dealing with some mountains. They came to this conference today and tomorrow. They didn't just come to have a nice time, but they came to get a word from God. And I came from God to tell you that whatever mountain there is that is hindering you from walking in the fullness of what you know God has called you to do. Don't tell God anything else. You prayed long enough. Speak to the mountain and say before Zerubbabel. Yes, Lord. Somebody ought to praise him right there. Will you praise him? is coming down. This depression is coming down. This suicide rate is coming down. This domestic violence is coming down. And the Bible says that when the mountain comes down, Zerubbabel is going to get a headstone. In other words, God's going to leave enough of it for you to make a trophy out of it. He's going to leave enough of it for you to make a plaque out of it. You're going to be able to say, been there, done that. But the Lord made a way for me. I've been through hell and high water, but the Lord made a way for me. Somebody said I wouldn't last to see this. Somebody was on a ventilator, but the Lord made a way for you. Somebody thought that you wouldn't walk out of the hospital on your own feet, but the Lord made a way for you. And the Bible said when you get your trophy, when you get your trophy, when you get your plaque, when you mount it, he said don't get arrogant. He said, when, when, when the ministry begins to flourish again and, and, and when the numbers begin to increase and, and when finances are no longer a struggle, he said, I don't want you to get lifted up in yourself. He said, when you see the mountain come down, make sure you holler, grace! Excuse me, holler. Make sure you express yourself. Make sure you articulate, grace! Mm. The reason why we survive is because of the grace of God. The reason why I'm still on my feet in my right mind is the grace of God. The reason why we had a comeback, it was the grace of God. The reason why the mountain came down, it was the grace. Grace of God. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, this is Zechariah 4 and 7. Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. Thou shalt bring forth the headstones thereof with shoutings. That means there's going to be a praise involved. Somebody already has that part. I said there's going to be a praise involved. But the praise is not going to be a convoluted, egocentric praise. But the praise is going to be everything that happened to me that was good. God did it. You won't quit. You, you, you won't quit, will you? Somebody open up your mouth and give him a grace praise right there. 
Thank him for his grace. 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 The spirit of the Lord is your refreshing. Thank him for his grace. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Thank him for his grace. name of your team it's not team blue it's not even team CIU it's team grace I'm a teammate in team grace and God will give us, remain standing please, God will give us team grace. If I can make an adjunct, a noun adjunct out of the noun team. He will give us team building grace. That we might become the team named grace. May I hold the clicker, thank you. While, while you're there, Bishop, thank you for kindly. Yes, that's it, that's it. You know, the title of this lesson is really not only Team Grace or even uh, leading off pulpit. The title of this lesson is Zerubbabel. His name means sown in Babylon. You know what it means? It means that he was born in the exile. The only reality he ever knew was dysfunction, breakdown and chaos. But God took what was born in chaos, born in madness, born in confusion, and used that to rebuild his house. That's why Jeremiah had told them in the 29th chapter, Make sure that when you get to Babylon that you don't quit. Make sure you get married and, and, and have babies because I know the plans that I have. Oh, God, I know the plans that I have. And one of those babies, one of those babies, one of those babies, one of those, Ray Ray and, and, and Pookie, one of those babies rebuilt the house of God. Some of your babies some of your grandbabies, some of your students, Zerubbabel. How you doing pre-K in Babylon? How you doing first grade Zoom? Sown in Babylon. They're babies, those babies, they're our Zerubbabels. That's why CIU exists. Because in a true sense, the whole world is Babylon. Ever since the fall of man, the whole world is Babylon. All humanity has been in captivity. But God sent us a Zerubbabel 
and a Joshua. He sent us prophet, priest, and king in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a baby born in Bethlehem, I mean in Babylon. I mean in Bethlehem. You get it. And so the title of the lesson really is Babylon Babies. That's the title of the lesson. Because every one of you, whether you're 8 or 80, you're a Babylon baby. Although you might not have been born chronologically, but there's another aspect of who you are that has been born during this season. Another perspective of who God is in you. Another perspective of your calling and of your ministry and of your family and of your destiny has been born in this season and in this reality. In a real sense, you're a Babylon baby. And I want you to, to help me finish the stanza. We can't leave John Newton hanging. We sang the first two lines. The first two lines said, through many dangers, toils, and snares. That's the pandemic. And not only the pandemic, but scratch the pandemic, just daily life. I have already come. But let's finish the stanza. Twas grace that brought me safe. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Our chief deacon, he's deceased now. But he was a baseball man. And when I preached about safety, he was an umpire. I said, Deacon Briscoe, show them what safe looks like. And he'd get that big man, big hulking man. He'd get down in That sort of reminds me of that mountain being decapitated. Twas grace that brought me And grace will lead me home. Lift your hands and praise God for triumphant, victorious, It would be my honor to pray very briefly over leaders. Listen to me. All of you are leaders. That's another one of those false dichotomies. God created all human beings to lead. We don't all occupy the same office or function. But if Maxwell is accurate, leadership is influence. And we know Jesus is accurate, leadership is servanthood. Then influential servanthood is for every human being and certainly for every child of God. Some lead from in front, some lead from beside, some lead from behind, some lead from underneath, some lead from above, but we are all called of God to lead. If you would grant unto me the privilege of praying over you if you desire to agree with Team Grace today, come forward and let us ask a word of blessing over you. Any of you that are willing, any of you that are willing, come forward if you will. Thank you. 
Let's pray together. The sun and listen, as I pray over you, let's say one for another. Oh, Father, we thank you for your presence in the room right now. Our refresher, the Holy Spirit of God, who builds his people up, who strengthens his people, who gives utterance to the preacher, to the teacher, to the instructor, to the singer. The word of God says that Jesus said to the woman at the well, He that drinketh of the water of this well shall thirst again. But he that drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. In other words, he will be refreshed. It will be in him a well of water springing up to everlasting life. And now, Father, we lift our hands unto you because only you can refresh us. Only you can renew us. Only you can revive us. Habakkuk prayed, O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. I ask you to revive your work. Yes, Lord. Revive your work in every heart, in every mind. Those of us that have become cold, those of us that have become complacent and apathetic, I'm asking you to ignite a fresh fire. In the name of Jesus, let revival come to every city that is represented here. Let revival come to every ministry that is represented here. Let revival come to every life in the name of Jesus. Those that have become weary, those that have become jaded, those that have become depressed, those that have become lonely, those that have given contemplation to leaving the ministry. Oh God, renew them, I pray. Renew them, I pray. I come against depression. I come against anxiety. I come against distress. Heal the people from the inside. Heal the spirit, soul, and bodies of the people. And then let us go back and be your means and your your conduit, your vessel for someone else's healing. And most of all, if there's someone among us who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord, may they confess with their mouths the Lord Jesus and believe in their hearts that God has raised them from the dead, that they might be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now listen, one thing further, just about 30 seconds. If you're willing, if you're willing, and listen, if you're not willing, we're not offended. Everybody's not doing a lot of touching. But if you're willing, take the hand of someone near you and pray for that man, that woman, and let the strength of God in you be strength to him or to her. Pray for your brother, pray for your sister. Now, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for fresh insight. Thank you for fresh wisdom. Oh, yes, Lord. Thank you for fortifying. Thank you for renewing. Oh, Father, we appreciate you. Thank you for new concepts. 
Thank you for new strategies. Thank you for opening new doors. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for Thank you for Thank you for Yes, Lord. Now loose those hands and open up your mouth, lift up your voice, and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah! 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 We hope you found this message a blessing to your life. More Columbia International University Chapel messages are available at iTunes and at podcast.ciu.edu. Learn more about CIU's undergraduate, seminary, and graduate programs at our website, ciu.edu. Columbia International University educates people from a biblical worldview to impact the nations with the message of Christ. Thank you for the opportunity to minister to you today.